I think it was because of Slint actually that got me to touch Slackware because I, I was that's actually one of the few distributions that I haven't touched very much um, just because it's not the it's not a very commonly requested distribution. There's some people that I interact with every once in a while that are diehard Slackware users. And um, I had a friend in college, uh, Jeremy. He, uh, he, he, that's that's all he would use. And uh, but but I've never I've never um, yeah I've never really you know gotten to use Slackware like you know hardcore like you know that's what my main system was. Um, but you'd have to forgive me. It's there's there's thousands of distributions out there. <laughs> With me on the show today is Chris Wade. Chris is the founder and CEO of Think Penguin. Chris, thanks for setting aside some time to speak with me today. It's wonderful to be here. So I can't remember exactly when the first time I met you was. It would have definitely been at some open source conference somewhere where you were at the Think Penguin booth. But I do remember the thing that stood out to me the most is that it was apparent immediately that you have a passion for free and open source software. But before we get into that, I figured let's roll the clock back. I want to get a little bit of backstory. Do you remember when you were younger, was like there a point where you were like, hey, this technology thing is really interesting. I want to do that. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I was I was probably like 10 or 11, maybe. Do you happen to remember because people always are, are interested in finding out people that have been around what the what they started out on? Do you remember the first computer that you used? Yeah. Yeah, it was an Apple II. I was four years old. <laughs> OK. 1988. <laughs> So at what point did you first become aware of open source software? Uh, probably like 94-ish, probably about 1994. Okay. Do you remember what the situation was or what you, you noticed that got you, that you saw? Oh, wow. Um, going back to those days, uh, <laughs> it was probably like, it was Red Hat. I know it was Red Hat. I don't, I don't think I know it was Red Hat. Um, it was like, I don't remember what version specifically, but it was some Red Hat release before it was... Red Hat Enterprise Linux or uh, Fedora or what they've changed the names a few times over the years. But um, yeah, it was just Red Hat. <laughs> and that's what I remember mostly And the dial up. Um, I remember trying to get dial up working and trying to get it to, you know, installed and booting and working. And, you know, back in those days, it was it was a lot more a lot more effort to do pretty much anything with the computer. You had dip switches and all sorts of all sorts of different things to finagle in order to, you know, get the computer to pretty much do anything. So yeah, it was, I think it was a 50 megahertz, like IBM PS2, I believe. Um, I think it had like 50, uh, it was 50 megahertz. I believe it was 50 megahertz. Yeah, it's definitely 50 megahertz. And I don't know if it had four, probably had more than four megabytes of RAM at that point. But um, by that time I actually, you know, installed Red Hat for the first time. But um, it was definitely an interesting experience, especially trying to get, and it, it's interesting. It was interesting because there wasn't, uh, it wasn't like a, Today, it's really pretty easy to install any kind of GNU Linux distribution. But back in those days, they didn't, when you had a second hard drive, so the first hard drive was a 244 megabyte hard drive, and the second one was like a 2.7 gigabyte hard drive, I believe. Um, oh, wait a minute, that, maybe that came later. That might have actually come later. Um, but anyway, it still was in the early days. And at that time, the second hard drive, it it didn't. There, it, the, the BIOS doesn't detect it. It was it was a. Uh, there was something called an over. I think it was overlay. Basically, it's installed. It had to. You had to install it to like the bootloader. 
and it caused all sorts of problems. So, but one of the, I think one of the tricks, if I recall correctly at the time, was uh, you could you could do it to like a floppy disk, and so you could stick the floppy disk in in order to boot to boot it up or or whatever. And the problem the problem with installing Linux, I think, was that I couldn't install to the bootloader because the overlay. Uh, the overlay program basically was there. So if you tried to install the bootloader, it wouldn't work. And so the the whole thing would just, you know, fail on you. So I think I had to, it was a little hack I had to do to get it working. But that's kind of cool. So you started with Red Hat. What what was your distro journey like? Because I know a lot of uh, GNU Linux and open source people, they, they started with one, but yeah. over the years, they kind of migrate and try a whole bunch of them and settle on some for a while and then move on to others. So yeah. I'm just kind of curious what yours was. I've never been a distro hopper, um, but I have used every distribution under the sun. Um, I tend to like to stick to uh, stick to a distribution for length, long lengths of time just because, I, I mean, I'm just not, I'm, I I actually try to do like productive stuff on my computer, and so if you're constantly installing and reinstalling and installing something else, you don't get much done. So when I install a distribution, it usually is on a fresh, clean machine, and it's not my like main machine or my work machine or whatever. Um, if I'm trying something else new out or or whatever, and and I will switch distributions, but most of the reason, most of the time when I've been switching distributions over the years, it was to you know see you know the differences between distributions. But especially now when I switch distributions, it's it is because I'm trying to be a distro hopper because I need to know the different user interfaces, different desktop environments, how you know you know Arch works relative to you know Fedora or Debian or whatever, and certain distributions you know they haven't. I mean. There's been and there's been a lot of changes too, like over the years. Like you know, I guess it hasn't really been that many changes, but there's been some changes. Like um, obviously System D, and there's been um, uh, with Fedora, you basically went from uh, was it D, uh, DN? I want to say D, DNR for Do Not Resuscitate, but it's DNF. Um, so it went from Yum to DNF, and so, like there's these little changes that have occurred like over the years. And uh, if you don't if you don't distro hop to some degree, and that's kind of what you do for you know to support, uh, you you your skills will end up getting rusty. So I like to hop around to some degree, but like if you actually start looking at like what is my main system that I'm using at any given time, it's like oh, there's a new release out. You know, the old release isn't isn't uh, discontinued yet. And I'm still on that for like way, way longer than I probably should be. Um, and I don't mean like from a security perspective, it's fine because there's still security updates for it. But for somebody you would think is in the business, you think they're going to be doing, I think, more, you know, up constantly upgrading and, you know, constantly being on top of things. And I am from a security perspective, but I'm not from a, you know, from a, from like just getting, you know, because I need to have that, you know, I need my main desktop at least to be or laptop uh, to be productive and so i don't i don't like i don't like to break things i don't like to install random software and that's also good from a security perspective i actually do the same thing with like my phones you know i don't i don't i will upgrade you know for security but i won't install random software that i don't trust you know that there's not source code for uh a full set source code for you know etc but um it, the phones are phones are complicated because phones are kind of a, a nightmare just all over you know you can't you can't I mean there's replicant, but even with replicant, you still have proprietary firmwares, you know, for the modem, uh basically, uh, you know, for the for the you know the modem portion of the of the device. So even if um, you know, your your Wi-Fi might not your well, I can tell you your Wi-Fi won't work if you're using replicant. Um and your blue I don't know, Bluetooth Bluetooth might work. Um I think the G, GPS won't work, but yeah, there's all these pieces that won't work and and so 
and this is the thing that I have a really hard time doing is I want to use Replicant. I want to use, you know, some of the freer options, but it's really, it, it, it's still a bit of a challenge in, in some instances. Um, but there is, um, but, but what I have a really hard time doing is like telling and helping people with distributions that I would rather not be helping with um, because I don't like, I don't like people, you know, getting dependent on proprietary, you know, bits of software. And I, but at the same time, it's like, I know that if I were to tell them, oh, go use X, Y, and Z, it, they're going to fail. And then they're going to go back to Windows or Mac or something else. And so I know I need to give them something. I want to give them, I'm going to give them something that's as free as possible as far as the hardware is concerned. But then the distribution that they're using it ends up not being free. And it's usually because, you know, it, it comes down to one, they're buying new hardware. And so something like Triscoll 9, for example, which is based off 18, Ubuntu 1804, that's not going to work. And I can't give them something like Parabola because Parabola is a rolling distribution and, and rolling distributions break. And don't even get me started at what a nightmare it is to install Parabola or Arch is a little bit better, but um, Parabola is, <laughs> it's there's bugs that are not documented. So if, even if you follow the directions perfectly, unless you go and you talk to other people who are using Parabola, you might not know, you know, why it's failing and you might not be able to figure it out. And then, you know, somebody, if you, but if you talk to other people, then you'll, then you'll find out. And it's, it's kind of a, a sore point, I think, with uh, something like Parabola, unfortunately. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I've always kind of taken the tack of if I want to get someone off, say, Windows or Mac, I will first try to get them in, onto using GNU Linux. And then later, I'll try to take the next step and get, yeah. okay, well, let's, let's go a little bit further. To take it in baby steps. Because, yeah, if you just dump someone onto it, you know, a, a GNU Linux installation that has some rough edges that they're not really comfortable with, they're going to bail. And I think it's more important to get them started down the right path. Like, let's get them in the point in the right direction yep. so that we can then get them to the ultimate goal of using just uh, free and open source software. And another thing is I've always found it interesting, the, the dichotomy between the people that use stable versus the people that use bleeding edge. Because it's an interesting kind of split between general community. Now, obviously, there's a lot of overlap. Um, I use both. But for my day-to-day, -day, I prefer a much more stable OS, which I use Slackware. But I, you know, I still update the packages as much as possible within that window. Um, mm. Certain things that I have to go with, like, the latest source I can build myself. But I have plenty of friends that are just, like, bleeding edge of the rolling distribution. That's where they want to be. Yeah, I, it's always something that I found interesting. I, I can't, I can't handle that. You know, when I'm working, I can't have my printer, you know, my printer, my printers break because the cups gets updated, and of course, the new configure, you need a new configuration file, or you need to modify the configuration file, or whatever, and you don't even know why it's not printing, and you don't have the 15 minutes that it's going to take to research it and fix it. And um, I, th that's an example. I actually, I was running. Trying to think what I was running. I was running one of the. I was running a rolling release distribution. Um, oh, I think it was Mandri No, not Mandrivia. Uh, that's not rolling. Um, Mid no, not Magia. Uh, oh, Mandrivia doesn't even exist. Uh, <laughs> it was. I'm thinking Magia, but I'm trying to think what the uh, pop. What's one of those popular distributions right now? It's like at the top of the list. I know Manjaro has been getting really popular. That's, that's based it. on Arch. Yeah. Okay, Manjaro. Yeah, that one. Yeah, Manjaro. Um, that's what I was using. And it, my, I, that was actually that example I was given was exactly what I was using at the time. And my printer, my printer system broke. And it's crazy because it was like, it was actually easy to use. It was easy, or let me rephrase, it was easy to set up and install and use for the most part. And it was pretty stable 
and then it wasn't. <laughs> it was. It took three months, but it, it broke, you know. And um, and that's why. And that's why I, I I tend to prefer, you know. And most users wouldn't wouldn't be able to fix that type of problem. So um, it's definitely, uh, you know. And I there's there's been some there's been some pretty crazy distributions that I've I've used to actually uh, here. I'm trying Slint. I think was one. Have you ever heard of Slint? I think it was. I have I have heard people like mention the name, but that's all I've ever heard. I've never gotten any more information about it. So if if I'm if I'm not mistaken about the name, um, Slint is a distribution based on Slackware. Might be based on Slackware, um, and it basically is designed for people who are uh, visually impaired or blind. Okay. And uh, it's got some really neat features in it, but like there's some really oddball distributions that I've I've touched over the years, and it's and in recent years um, because we have a, a a small percentage of of our customer base is, is blind, so I, I'm constantly getting asked questions and researching questions, and so one of the one of the ones I spent some time on in the past couple of years was uh was that so it's like yeah and there's some of the older distributions we actually funded a distribution way back when um five six seven years ago to try and solve some of those problems for blind users and unfortunately that distribution went under but um the um but there is a distribution currently out there for blind users it's just really hard to find like find out about it because it's not there's all this information about like older distributions that we're targeting you know that that world but there's no it, it, it's all all the stuff that comes up in a search is out of date. So so it was, it was really hard to locate, just locate the distribution. But we located it, figured it out, found out, oh, yes, this is good. This is well-maintained and everything else. There are other people, you know, using it and everything else. And, and it actually works really well. But I think it was because of Slint, actually, that got me to touch Slackware. Because I, I was that's actually one of the few distributions that I haven't touched very much. Um, just because it's not the, it's not a very commonly requested distribution. There's some people that I in, interact with every once in a while that are diehard Slackware users. And um, I had a friend in college, uh, Jeremy. He, uh, he, that's that's all he would use. And uh, but but I've never I've never um, yeah I've never really you know gotten to use Slackware like you know hardcore like you know that's what my main system was. Um, but You'd have to forgive me. It's there's there's thousands of distributions out there. Yeah, there's there's a ton. Yeah, I just don't have time. But I do try and I do try and play around with you know the different uh, you know bases. And um, this is the first time that like there was actually something where you know I had a good reason to to try something that was based on Slackware because because there there were there were other distributions, but they were not good for blind users. So it was a good excuse to to play around with it and, and check it out. You know, a newer version anyway than what I may have played with 20 years ago. Yeah, so Slackware was how I got introduced um, into open source and Linux. Um, and I still use it today, as I mentioned before. So anybody that's listening that uses Slackware, next time you're looking for a computer, order one from Think Penguin and specifically request <laughs> that they install Slackware on it. So they have to actually deal with it more. Yeah, yeah, I would love to. I would love to get, you know, more people asking for other distributions. But to be honest, like most people will leave the default distribution, um, you know, whatever that may be. And it's it's very interesting because like you would think that more people would like, you think that Linux users are, you know, they have a distribution that they want, right? And they know what it is and... But the reality is like most of the people out there using Linux don't know a thing about it these days. Um, most users are technically 
very low. They're not very technical. Is basically the best way to sum it up. And um, you know, I'm trying. Not, I'm trying not to insult people here, um, but like they're just they're just not. You know, it's they're you know they 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 use it, but they don't really know anything about you know like trying to like explain to them. Okay, have you ever opened a terminal before? And you'd be surprised at how many times people say, "No, I've never opened a terminal before." Not that I, I try to avoid asking people to open up a terminal, but every once in a while, you know, it's just easier to open a terminal and, uh, you know, do something that it is to, to, you know, open up the graphical interface to do the same thing. So the only other thing I would wonder is if some people aren't changing it because they just automatically plan that they're going to install whatever. Yeah. So they just leave it at that. Yeah, That's, I, I wonder if it, that happens. It certainly does happen. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily the case that it happens more often because of that. I think more often it's because, you know, 80% of the population, 80% of our customer base anyway, are non-technical. And it's like 20% that are technical. Um, and there's probably like 2% that are technical that will just leave the default distribution. It's like a small percentage of people, surprisingly. Yeah, and with the, with the work that's gone into Ubuntu and Fedora and, of course, a lot of other distributions that are downstream from those, it, Linux has gotten very, very user-friendly. Like, I remember back in the day, it was definitely difficult. But these days... We say back in the day, what are we talking about? Because I've been around a really long time in this world. And well, okay. Most people, it's not 25, so for me, 25 years or whatever. So for me, back in the day is the 90s and okay. maybe the early 2000s. Yeah, that's that's definitely, definitely pre-2000, I would say it's it was definitely more, more, more difficult to use. And post-2000, I think it became a lot easier, especially probably around 2005 and later time period. Yeah, I put my mother on, I believe it was a Mint install. If I could be wrong, but I just sat her down with that one day and was like, you know, here's where the settings are. Here's where you go, you know, to get online and stuff like that. And she went from I think the laptop she had before was Windows 7 and she went transitioned over. She, you know, would ask me a few questions for the next couple of weeks. But then after that, she was fine. Yeah, she could figure I, it out. I would say probably um, five, maybe five or more years ago, I would say about 50 percent of like non-technical people could use it, you know, reasonably because they didn't have any kind of dependencies that would be. um or use cases that would be like, oh, you can't do that on Linux. Now it's like eighty percent probably. Uh, so the main thing, the main thing that was holding a lot of people back in my experience was actually QuickBooks. So now that QuickBooks is online, it's no longer yeah. an issue. So I had mentioned that I use Slackware, and I, I I always have to admit this, and I feel kind of stupid about it now. But when I started using Slackware, I was given a box with Slackware installed. So for me, I didn't actually even understand that it was free and open source software. For me, it was just, oh, this is another operating system I can use and play around with it. And it wasn't until years later when someone was talking about some other package, I forget what it was, but some software that was open source. And they mentioned that it was open source, and I was like, oh, that's a really cool thing. And they kind of looked at me sideways, and they're like, what, why are you acting like this is such a revelation to you? Like, you've, you said you use Slackware. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I use Slackware. And they're like, yeah, that's open source. And I'm like, well, that, but that's but that's Linux. That's just that's just Slackware Linux. And they're like, yeah, that that's, op that's open source software. And I'll, oh, okay. I thought it was odd that I could you know I could get source code in little bits that I could then pro uh, compile stuff, but I didn't understand the kind of the deeper stuff with you, it being free and open source as a, software. Like a, a less technical individual on Linux is is that how you got started, or or were you technical, but you just it just didn't occur to you? So it's kind of a funny story. I was a DOS Windows user and a family friend was a sysadmin. So I was constantly bugging this person with questions about how to do things because I couldn't figure it out and I was younger. 
And they got sick and tired of basically being my tech support when I couldn't figure things out. So they spoke with someone that they worked with and said, can you install, that person was actually a FreeBSD admin. That person, my family friend asked their friend, can you install FreeBSD on this little box so I can give it to this kid so he <laughs> could stop bothering me? Well, that guy didn't want to become my tech support either. So he installed Slackware, which then was given to me by my family friend who basically then said, look, I don't know how this works, but there's, you know, here's a list of simple commands using this man command where you can get information about how these other things work. And you're a smart <laughs> kid, you can figure it out. So I just kind of got thrown into the deep end and I would just, you know, play around with it, read commands, read the man pages. Um, I still had another system that I could use so I could get online to forums and ask questions to get other information. But for me, it was just kind of a curiosity of this is a, a different way that I can use an operating system because up until that point, all I knew was Dawson Windows. So I was very much not a technical user and just slowly over time learning things, learned how to use the system, but didn't understand the whole philosophy behind open source. Yeah, my, my biggest thing uh, that resulted in, in my use was probably, or at least moving to it full time as like my only operating system <laughs> um, was probably be the fact that like, I was using, I was using, I was a dot. I went from DOS to GNU basically. So it was, it was a situation where it's like, I can't stand Windows. I can't stand Microsoft Windows. They constantly, Microsoft was constantly doing, making these changes that just make things difficult to use. And, and DOS had its limitations too, because the sources weren't available. There was freeware all, you know, left and right, but there was no source code. And it wasn't that I was like looking to hack on the source code even necessarily, but there were just so many limitations surrounding that. And um, I never, I never, uh, I had, um, I think like, I had I had Windows, but it was like I, I would reboot to DOS, like up until like Windows ninety eight second edition, and then and then after that Windows like XP around that time came out, and I just I I, I took two looks at it, and I'm like I'm not running a wizard, I'm not running going through clicking ten times to configure my network, right? Like they I don't know what they did, they like removed the network configuration like there was a single panel in windows 9x and then it went to like a wizard and i'm just like i've had enough and i'm like i'm i'm getting rid of windows i'm hitting the delete button on windows altogether and um and dos and all of it and i'm just like whatever it takes to get off of windows to get off of uh dos isn't doing it anymore you know what you've removed they already i already wasn't happy when they removed the reboot to dos option from the windows in i think that was actually in windows me um, that also didn't make me happy. And so I think I played around with hacking on that, but it was like, this isn't an answer because it's just going to go away, you know, in the next release. So it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was time. It was time to say, and I had been using, you know, I'd been using Linux for years prior, but at the time, um, you know, 2000, it, there was still a lot of things that were like, you know, uh, little issues and they could kind of be like big enough issues to be, to be a real kind of, I don't know if I want to say deal breaker, but it was like, it, it, like it was, it was hard. Um, I had like a DVD or CD writer, maybe at the time, I was probably a CD writer at the time. Um, and I couldn't use my CD writer on Linux because I don't remember why. And eventually it worked, but it was just like, it was still not where we weren't at a point where, you know, things mostly worked or, you know, anything of that nature. And, and, you know, even, even years later, it was still, I was still like, running into issues, you know, even in 2005, I was running into issues and people were running into issues. I, I was in that point, I was probably, I was actually working for a company that uh, developed a distribution 
and um, they were doing it wrong. They were doing it all wrong. And I'm, I'm trying to explain to them what they're doing wrong. And it's like, no, 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 you need to sell hardware. I'm like, I know you're a software distribution, uh, you know, you're, but you're not, I know you're in the software. I know you're in the software business. I get it. But if you want people and the whole point of the company was to sell, you know, their distribution to non-technical users. And it's like, if you're going to throw your computers and fries and I'm trying to think Best Buy and um, I'm trying to think what the other one is on the West. Circuit City was around uh, then. Yeah, I think they, um, they had them in Fry's, Staples, Best Buy, one to one degree or another, other computers with it installed already or uh, box copies. Uh, Micro Center, I think it was the other one. Micro Center and Fry's were the two ones I think were selling the computers. But they were doing it all wrong because one, one of the issues was that they were basically, Linux was just being used as this cheap, cheap thing to, to lower the price of this. So there was no licensing from Microsoft. And so they were using that to like bring customers into the store, but then they would upsell them on Windows, like a, a higher end Windows system. And the system that you would get with Linux was garbage. The hardware was garbage. And it was like, if you want people to actually like use this distribution, you need to solve the hardware problem. And they just weren't willing to do that. And they solved, like they made it easy to use like the user experience but then they would do things like they would tell people, oh, go look at this hardware database and buy, you know, this this modem, this wind modem or whatever. And it's like, okay, I know the wind modem works right now, but what happens when you go to upgrade to the next release? And do you know what they would do? They would be like, oh, you have to, oh, oh this is this is the crazy thing. So they would basically have people call up for support and they would be like, okay, look at our hardware database to buy a modem because their wind modem that they had doesn't work. So then they would get directed to buy another wind modem, which worked with that release. But then when the next release came out, it didn't work anymore. So they call them up again and be like, is that really going to work? How many, how many, every three months you have to replace your modem or whatever? Like that's not going to work. So, you know, I was trying to explain to them, like you need to solve the hardware problem. You need to actually do basically what Apple was I don't know if Apple was doing this yet, but they had started at some point they did these Apple stores inside of CompUSA stores. And, and basically they need to do something similar and they didn't have to do it. I wasn't suggesting that they do it like, like that because I didn't think the company had the resources to do that, but they could have taken the Dell model, combined it with the Apple model and had a, you know, an internet store where people could buy hardware and, um, you know, and so, and, that, and then solve that problem that way, because it's, it's not, you can't just recommend like hardware to people because the hardware and the databases, there's so many different issues with hardware databases. But one of the issues is, you know, uh, that you don't, the customer doesn't get, if, if what's in the hardware database is up to date and accurate and stuff, if you go out and try and buy the hardware and you get it, it's still probably not the hardware that was originally the chips that were used are probably not the same chips that were in the hardware when it was tested and said, this works. So you actually end up recommending something that doesn't work <laughs> and more often than not. And the nine out of the 10 items in the hardware database are out of date and or out of date in that they, they're not even available on the market anymore. So it's like, like you, it doesn't, it just doesn't work. They, they just, you end up getting swamped after a short period of time, swamped with there being more hardware that isn't available on the market and a little bit of hardware that is available on the market. That you, you might build this again. It doesn't have the same chips. So it doesn't actually work. And, um, you know, and and I, and I was trying to explain like explain this to them, but like I was I was I was only interning uh, for the company, so it was like like nobody was going to listen to me. But um, they did they did try to hire me twice actually after that, and um, I actually ended up turning them down because I'm like, yeah, you guys are going to go out of business in six to eight months. The la at least the last time they tried to hire me, and um, and they did actually they did. So it was a good decision not to go and work for them. And even though I liked what they were doing or trying to do. 
Um, I think they got a lot of flack and criticism that was partially deserved, but I think they fixed a lot of their issues. And um, I, my, the best thing I ever did was start start a business out of college, um, immediately out of college. Um, I, I took the harder path, but uh, it was well worth it. Hardware compatibility these days is so much better than what it used to be. And I know back in the day, again, 90s, early 2000s, it was, I, I found it to be a nightmare because at one point I was upgrading, I don't remember if it was an uh, audio card or a video card, but I had looked at what was, you know, the list that people had made about, oh yeah, we know this works, we know this works. And the one that I had was like one revision off of what worked, but for whatever reason, something had changed in the hardware, so the driver didn't work for it anymore. So I had to find another card, and I went and searched, and I found one that looked like it was on the list, but I ran into that very same problem. It was a later revision of that card that I was actually able to buy, but I didn't know it was a later revision because, well, the name's the same, the box looks the same, like this, this is what Model I should get. Identical, but then right? yeah, it didn't yeah. work. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a common problem and it's not something that, honestly, like we still have these problems. And I think a lot of people, they, they, don't, they don't realize the problems when they encounter them often or what they're relating to. And usually it's some sort of proprietary bit or, or something, but there are other issues too. And it's everything from, you know, uh, you know, a qu poor code. Sometimes it's like poor code quality. So it's something that will never get, even though the sources are available, it'll never end up in the mainline kernel. And so there'll never be proper support. Um, other times it's that issue where you've got, uh, you know, a newer revision with a different chipset. Other times, um, yeah, there's some products that have 17 different revisions and the same model number. It's like, yeah, some of those revisions work, but some of them are, are like, they don't work at all. Um, but there's also other issues, like sometimes manufacturers will produce the same model card, but they'll have two different versions of it, basically, but they don't tell you there's a different version. So, like, they'll actually be using two different ship sets, and it's it's just weird. Um, I think probably the most prominent example of this that I can think of off my head is actually Apple did something like that with with their iPhone, I think. And um, they use, like, two different SOCs or whatever. And, um, and so, like, people were complaining about the performance on one over the other, and it's like, yeah, it's because they're two different products, really, under the hood. And um, if you were to, and I don't know, like, Obviously, that's not, uh, uh, you know, specifically to Linux, um, but this isn't this is really not something that's specific to Linux. A lot of the hardware problems actually people run into are not specific to Linux at all. They're, they're actually just generic problems that Windows users run into, too. But there's reasons that they may not run into them as much or, um, you know, or they they don't understand the real problem and they'll just write off as, oh, that hardware is, out of, you know, it's out of date or whatever. And they don't blame Microsoft. They should blame Microsoft because they're a big part of it. But but they should also be blaming, especially the manufacturers. Um, but in the Windows world, everything's proprietary, which is mostly back to Microsoft. So, but in in uh, you know GNU and Linux world, we don't have that situation where everything is proprietary. There's a lot of things that are proprietary, but there are still a lot of things that are not. So if you get the right hardware, basically, you don't have those problems. Um, but in the windows world, you really don't have a choice, you know, and there's, uh, I'm trying to think some, like some examples, but there's uh, I, well, there's a sound card. I, uh, there's a sound card's probably a good example. There was a, uh, my friend has a radio uh, show and he does basically, he had a sound card in a windows system for that show and he upgraded Windows and it, the sound card didn't work anymore. Now, it still works on Linux, but that's because the sources are available and it's properly maintained in the mainline kernel and everything else. Or Actually, I think it's it's a different project, but whatever. You get the idea. It's The community is able to probably maintain support for that hardware almost indefinitely. 
And um, that just doesn't happen in, in, in the Microsoft Windows world. So, but because people don't usually upgrade the operating system in, in Windows, they, they buy a new computer and then their printer doesn't work that they bought six months earlier. Um, that's usually more what happens. But then, they, then it somehow gets blamed on you know, old hardware. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that something that you bought six months ago would not work with your new computer. Um, but that's, that's just how things are in the Windows world. And um, I don't think, you know, people in Linux land, people blame it on Linux. And it's not really Linux. It's the manufacturer. It's if you buy crummy hardware. And I understand that people don't know what's, you know, garbage and what's not. And the people who recommend that hardware tend not to know what they're talking about either. So you get and, and then the industry itself is like even people who sell Linux, you know, Linux uh, products, you know, they'll do the same thing. They'll sell you garbage. And it's just it's just that drives me nuts. Um, I much rather have. I much rather sell something that doesn't have the word Linux on the box that works properly and has the good chipsets and the sources are available than sell something that has Linux on the box, uh, you know, from from some company that, you know, I know in six months is, is probably not going to work with the next release or whatever. Um, but yeah, um, I, I and you know, it's crazy. Like, I remember I remember there being some uh, like 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 I remember there was a Samsung printer this one time. Uh, that had Linux on the box. And I was like, that's awesome. They, you know, they're advertising Linux on the box. This is, I mean, this is, I don't know what time period this was, but it was like maybe 2000, somewhere between 2000 probably and like 2000 and 2003, I'm thinking probably. Um, and it, they had Linux on the box and it was a Samsung, I think it was a laser printer. And I don't know how I, I it was, I, I don't know. I don't think I bought this printer, but I was doing some sort of support for this printer on Linux. And I, I plugged it in and I go to download the drivers and I realize it only works with like Red Hat 4.0 from five years ago. And it doesn't, you know, it's a proprietary driver and it doesn't work with any recent version of Linux. And it's like, I don't know. It's like, like, how can you, how can you, and this is the crazy thing. It's like companies put like Linux on the box and it's like, it it's absolutely not useful at all. And um, and then it's like, I mean, what do you think is going to happen when somebody buys your product and you had Linux on the, because of it said Linux on the box and, and then it doesn't work. They're going to return it more than likely. And if they return it, that has a cost to you. So you would think they wouldn't do that kind of thing. Um, but they do. And you know, it's, you know, what's funny is actually some of the best, the best supported hardware is actually from companies who are not listing Linux on the box. Especially back in the day, they weren't li listing links on the box, but they were, um, they were releasing source code for their like printers and, and things of that nature. And so their printers worked great, like HP, for example. Um, but they never, not all HP printers, I'm just, but so, at least select HP printers. And, but they would never put Linux on the box. And on the one hand, it's like, I wish they did. But on the other hand, it's like, I understand sort of why they don't because of support issues. And they can't, so they don't have like a tech support you can call up and provide end user support for. So I kind of got that. I kind of get it. But it was, it was, yeah, it's just anyway. Yeah. So it's, it ends up, it ends up being, you know, the best solution was basically like an Apple shop, like for Apple products. Um, but in this case, it would be for Linux, and that's basically how the whole thing Penguin got started. Um, was just because I was I was I was sick and tired of there like not being a good source for hardware, uh, you know, that worked properly, uh, properly keyword properly, uh, you know, under Linux and free free software operating systems. So, and 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 I know I say free software um, operating systems. I'm not really explicitly meaning only ones that only 
include free software. I'm also including in that at the moment, at least uh, all distributions, even the ones that include the proprietary components. Actually, the proprietary components kind of get in the way because people end up installing Linux and they think their hardware works. And then when they go to upgrade, the hardware stops working because, well, it worked before, but because of those proprietary components, now it doesn't work anymore. So that, that drives me nuts too. It's like, oh, I wish people would stop installing. I mean, I want people to use Linux and get in with free software, but if you install it on random hardware, people end up getting frustrated and then they give up and then they go back to Windows. And it's just like, they don't, they will never use Linux again. And I don't think, I think a lot of, you know, until you've, you know, tried to do that or tried to support people, you know, um, you know, for a long time and a lot of people and so forth, you don't realize what kind of damage that's causing uh, to their reputation. Um, and people say Linux is hard. Well, Linux isn't hard. It's just, you are telling them you're giving them bad advice and then all these people are, end up with bad advice and they do bad thing, things that don't, they end up having such problems that they shouldn't have had if they just had gotten better advice. But you know, yeah, it is what it is. I mean, you can't, um, I, I can't, I can't roll out, you know, think penguin shops across the United States or world to fix this problem. So people can walk into a physical brick and mortar store and get support. I, we just don't have those kind of resources, but to the extent that we can do that is to the extent that people do know how to get hardware, um, you know, it's, it's, we basically have the Dell model as far as, you know, Linux is concerned and, and Dell basically for people who don't know what Dell model, the Dell model is, is it's basically Dell went to a catalog phone, radio television. You could not go into a store and buy a Dell computer. And so that's basically the, the model that we, we, we went with because of, you know, resource limitations and, um, it worked. It worked great for Dell. When Dell was the number one spot for you know uh, computer sales, that's the model they were using. So it, it's a model that works, and it works for non-technical people. Um, it's just a matter of making sure that what you're giving them, what you're providing them, isn't garbage. Um, because if you give if you give non-technical people garbage, they're going to be calling your support line all day, and you're going to go out of business because you can't afford to support people. You know, like that. It just doesn't work. <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting that uh, the conversation went that way because. One of the reasons that I really understood and got the 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 Libre and the open source concept was, the, like I mentioned, you know, cards not working. One of the cards I had, I forget what it was at, at a later point, um, but it, it didn't work. And I, in searching, I actually found someone who was like, oh, actually, that card will work, but you have to take the source code from the prior model card, change these values, oh, the device you know, a, to yeah. something else. And then recompile it, and it'll work yeah. fine. And I was like, "What? Wait, what? It's it's a different card." And you're like, "No, no, no! It's really not. There's just you need to change these right, few right, identifiers right. so that the kernel yep. can then actually see the card and yeah. know that it's so, there." I mean, so I did that, yeah. got it up and running, and then I was like, "Oh, this is amazing!" Yeah. Like I like with help from someone else, I was able to get something that didn't work to now working, and it wasn't difficult. I just needed a little bit of information to know. And now I have something that's working that wasn't working for me prior. Like this is a win for me. And that for me was like the, one of the key moments where I was like, okay, I love this open source Libre thing. Cause this is amazing. Cause if I have the knowledge, I can solve my own problems. So I'm kind of curious, was there a specific moment for you where the light bulb sort of went off? Um, some people have those kind of certain moments that stand out. Others, it's just a longer period of exposure and i'm kind of curious as to which of those you would follow um so there was actually another reason that i was very much concerned about the proprietary software it had to do with security um i it's something i don't really want to get into um but i i have reasons i have reasons to uh be concerned about the security of 
everybody's system. And it's, uh, you just, you can't begin to talk about, we still can't talk about security today. Um, we don't have a complete set of source code for everything, but you're not going to be able to start talking seriously about security until you get a complete set of source code for everything. So you got to start somewhere. And I've been, you know, I've been concerned about this issue since, you know, the nineties, the late nineties. And, um, well, it's, it, things are sort of better in some ways in that regard. And in some ways they're worse, but, um, well, worse might be a, might be hard to get worse. I mean, we, there were, it's not like there weren't wind modems and, and other proprietary components back in the nineties too, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's, it, there's more. So I, I think there was, there was less bloat back in the day. There's more bloat now. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a toss up, right? Like you got, you got back in the nineties, the, even if there was, there wasn't, I don't know if I would say there was less. So, so there's something that's been changing over the years in the industry. Back in the day, you had a lot more hardware um, than you do now. A lot of stuff is done in software and firmwares. And so that opens up more security issues. And I'm not saying, I know somebody's going to come out there and say, but you can do the same thing in hardware. Well, yeah, you can, but it's a lot harder. It's a lot easier to put a backdoor in, in software, right? And, um, and, and so it's there's it this opens up because nothing's we don't have free software at the firmware level in most cases so you, there's all these places that you can hide back doors and it's not it's not a theoretical problem it's a real problem that you can point to tons of examples of whether whether we're talking about routers or we're talking about you know uh you know actual computers or we're talking about phones all of these, you know, components, and it's not just those, those are, those are some of the ones that I think of, you know, you know, that I have examples of, but there's other places you could potentially, you know, hide, you know, basically malware, you know, in a computer, a back door. And we've, I've seen some of this, I've seen firsthand, some of it, I, you know, I, I see secondhand, but, um, you know, there's, uh, the Chinese government, for example, this isn't something that's been ever published. Um, but, this is something I know for kind of for sort of firsthand anyway. Um, but basically um, the Chinese government. So there was, there was a, a laptop that was basically a homegrown Chinese design. And it was done through a, some sort of funding government funding of a Chinese university. And they basically, they designed the laptop and then they licensed it, the design out to factories and things. And so other companies could build a, you know, build what you would end up getting as a consumer product. And one of the, one of the ways they backdoored it was in like the keyboard. It was, I think it was the, there was a chip for the keyboard and LCD controller firmware, I'm assuming. Um, but the back door was in that component, but it was, there was apparently like a driver component that it was dependent on. And, um, apparently it like the back door stopped working if the driver component was made. It was just a, a very weird back door. But the point is that it gets, it's hidden inside those, those, uh, proprietary pieces. And it's not just that there's other examples of back doors, like in BIOSes and things of that nature. Um, and uh, like there was a, there was a there was a backdoor that was demonstrated with Intel and it basically I'm trying to think how that worked. So basically it would like send a password. Um, there's like remote control software that's that basically it, it's it's sold. It's marketed as remote control software for enterprises. But basically it allows you to remotely control your fleet of computers. But what happens is 
you if if it has a if 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 you set a password and a I guess a client sends to the computer a good password, it lets you in. But if you send a bad password, it, bad password usually won't let you in. But if you send no password, it will also let you in. And the thing is, the client software wouldn't let you send a blank password. But if you modify that software, then it will let you send a blank password. So it's basically a a, a backdoor hidden in plain sight that can be denied later as a bug, but is clearly a backdoor because even a 101 CS student is going to know that you, you validate the input on both ends. And the fact that they didn't do this and these are not, you know, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of, you know, crummy written software in that area. Um, but this was something beyond beyond your normal level of of messed up. And um, but then you also see like routers. Um, there's there's a, probably a bunch of different. I mean, the the whole router world is is a nightmare. But there's routers that have two or even three backdoors that you know have been revealed. Um, if you if you follow with follow the news a little bit, the tech news, and it's like, how do you have two or three different backdoors? How many governments you know have their backdoors written right into the code like that? And again, it's all it's always it's the proprietary pieces. But then you also go on like if you start talking about phones. Now, there might be a backdoor in the modem, uh, you know, as well, firmware, but there's also a backdoor in components of proprietary components of Android uh, that have been discovered over the years, too. And they're on every single Android device. The only uh, the only basically phones that didn't have that backdoor were possibly like Lineage OS um, and I believe Replicant for sure. Um, and it was only because I think it was because of Replicant, if I recall correctly, that they discovered the backdoor um, effectively that, or I, I don't know if, I don't know if backdoor was quite the right word on, in that particular case. I don't think, I don't know if it was a backdoor, but it was, it was basically collecting information on the user and sending it back to somebody. I don't remember who it was, but it was a while ago now, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always these, it's always these proprietary components. And so, so if you want to start talking about security and you want to you know have a serious conversation, we need to get rid of those proprietary components and then we can start having that conversation. And, there are certain devices that we do not have any low-level proprietary, you know, um, pieces with, but it's it's rare. It's pretty rare. Um, you know, there's uh, the USB Wi-Fi. I worked on ATH uh, 9K HTC, which is like basically the USB Athros Wi-Fi chipsets. Mm -hmm. So I worked with uh, Adrian Chad and Louis Rodriguez years ago to get sources released for the firmware portion of that. And um, so the all the USB Wi-Fi adapters that you know work well and properly, you know, are basically based around those chipsets. And that was, that, that was, that was huge. That was great. And the fact that, you know, that was able to happen, but that's really, really rare. Um, and even like with the routers, it's like same, we have, I mean, we have basically have the same problem with routers and the FCC hasn't made it any easier, but there's, um, there, there's Liber CMC, uh, which is, which is a uh, free software project that my company has primarily funded and pretty much is the reason it exists though. It sort of predates Think Penguin, but it was, there's something called Liberty WRT prior to that. And the lead developer, um, who was working on that basically left over disagreements. And then it was like, well, we want to put out a free, a free router. And it's like, how do we do this? And so eventually I started talking to the guy, you know, who worked on Liberty WRT and he wanted to do Liberty CMC, but he, he had, you know, he had financial, you know, he had to, he needed to feed himself. Right. I mean, these developers, you know, they can't work for free forever. And so we started funding that. And so, you know, that pet project of his, of Liberty CMC, and then that eventually, um, you know, built that up. And it, then the Liberty WT folded into that. So 
because Liberty WRTR at that point was basically dead. So yeah, that's one of the one of the few free products that have free firmware on the market. It's it's the only totally free routers um, are the ones basically that we sell in our catalog where there's a complete set of source code for everything, including the bootloader. There's other companies that have routers that will run Libri CMC, but they don't have a free bootloader. Um, or um, I'm trying to think. Or they, you can run Libre you can run the Libre CMC distribution on it, but they don't ship with it. If that makes any sense. So it's yeah. there's there's a there's a there's probably like there's probably like a dozen products and like nine or ten out of the dozen products that run Libre CMC and have been sold commercially are our products, our Think Penguins products. So it's kind of kind of neat. Yeah. Two anecdotes on that front. Um, People always like to talk about how, you know, oh, well, these are just hypothetical scenarios where some piece of software, some chip somewhere will 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 have a bad effect there. Now, I cannot confirm because I'm sure if this is if this is true, this is probably classified. But I have heard for years that back prior to the Gulf War, um, the first one or yeah, the first one uh, that we had actually been selling computer equipment to the Iraqi government that they were using in their military. And when I guess it would have been the CIA was under the belief that hostilities were going to escalate, they actually worked with the suppliers to include other things into the hardware. Um, and one of them from the, the story that I've gotten is that they actually hid some stuff in, in a printer that when was then hooked up to the other systems that obviously the printer would be hooked up to so it could print, yeah. created a vulnerability that then when we wanted to go in, the intelligence services had the ability to compromise the Iraqi radar system because that happened to be where that printer ended up going because of, you know, where the purchase orders were. They knew that that was going to be used in a defense system and they were able to implant something that then later they could take advantage of if they ever needed to for, for their benefit. Yeah, no, it's, and there's, I, I don't know this, this particular story is probably true and accurate because what you're saying, because there's, um, there's even stories actually within like the past year, um, that basically, I don't know, I don't know exactly how this story came to be, but it's like, like it's, it happened basically. Um, somebody leaked something or other. And, um, there was, there's two different Switzerland customers who basically were selling, uh, backdoored fax machines and secure fax machines. I put secure in quotes here, um, secure fax machines to militaries and, you know, you know, everybody all over the world. And they're supposed to be secure, but because they were proprietary software in them, they and they, they had backdoors, and those were CIA front operations. So they owned they owned the companies, and they, this is how they do. This is how they operate. And um, if you, if you ever wonder why you know Russia and you know some of these other countries are coming out, or they've been you know funding certain um, chip manufacturing and, and and designs and things of that nature. It's because of this, these, this is very problem. Um, it's if you source your products from companies in other countries and you don't have full control over those products and you can't vet those products, uh, you know, reasonably, you're going to end up with backdoors in your supposedly secure infrastructure. And it's going to totally undermine your ability to defend yourself. Um, and the printer, the printer world is terrible. Uh, I can't, unfortunately, I there's, I don't think there's a solution to solving that problem. 
you know, short of getting sources released for at least the firmware for printers, but there's there's there isn't anything, and that changes constantly. So, you know, it's 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 uh, you can there's different levels of support when it comes to printers and and sources being released. So you can get printers that are better than other printers, but that doesn't mean that they're secure or safe to use. Um, they're likely all, you know, backdoored in some way. Um, just, you know, it, it's just, it is what it is. Um, the HP printers, for example, or I shouldn't say all HP printers, it depends. So if you look at the sources for the, uh, let's see, the driver, basically, it will, or the installer or something of that nature, it will go out when you plug the printer in, it will go out. It'll detect what printer you've got. And then it will say, okay, does it have uh, a proprietary firmware? Does it need to load a proprietary firmware? And it will go out and it will download the firmware. Now it turns out those printers are the worst printers to get, <laughs> even though, even though they, yeah, they work on Linux work and I'll put work in quotes, but it's like three hours. You, you, you This is, I, I've done this a number of times now, but, I would, I've banged my head against the wall. Well, the first time I, I don't know, this is the second time I'm thinking of, but I've had this happen before. This is a number of years ago since I've had, I've done this last, but I forgot. I forgot about the fact that HP had models that were listed as being basically not dependent on a proprietary plugin, but they actually are dependent on a proprietary plugin. And so I like to, we, we always vet like the products that we get in and make sure like what we're selling is actually not garbage. And so we, we double checked. And when we were double checking, I realized, oh, it's going out and it's downloading a proprietary component to load. And I, I think I realized this before I even plugged the printer in. And um, but I plugged the printer in and I'm like, oh, yep, it's doing exactly what I thought. So this isn't this isn't a good printer. And but but what happened then was I was like, well, let me set up this printer just so I have a good idea of like, you know, uh, you know, what happens with the, this. Because remember, I don't use proprietary software, right? So but I'm always telling people about how these proprietary bits get in the way and cause problems. So I'm like, let me verify, you know, like because I have a device here that's depending on proprietary ground, let me go ahead and test it and see how what my user experience is like. Well, two hours later, I managed to get it to print one piece of paper out. All right. Now, I couldn't get it to print a second time, a second, you know, a second thing, but I got one thing to print. Now, an hour later, I had given up three hours of my time basically wasted, but it was all for the sake of verifying I'm not crazy. And every time I'm telling people stop buying the proprietary garbage, you know, what I'm saying is actually accurate. And it, and it is. And um, and this is, I mean, this is just, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, and like I said, um, when you have a free driver with printers, that doesn't mean you're safe. It just means that you're a little bit better off than if you have a, you know, a printer that's dependent on more proprietary components. Um, the ones that have a free driver that don't depend on the proprietary plugins with the, the HP printers, they definitely, uh, they work a lot better and they're the best printers on the market from a support perspective and like they, you're not going to be banging your head against the wall. Um, but if you get the wrong printer based off of what HP is telling you is, you know, supposedly a better printer. If you trust them, you, you there's a good chance you're going to end up with a printer that actually, no, it's not good. It's, it's a, and, and the thing is, um, I, I believe actually those same printers don't work well in windows either. So, um, I have been told by somebody, uh, who, I believe he set up a printer for somebody else that was running Windows. And I I found out that, oh, yeah, they don't work well in Windows either. So, and I don't know, I don't know if that was 
it might be even more true when it comes to other um, other printers that are more free software friendly on on GNU Linux because they're all proprietary on Windows. Remember, so it, there's a good chance that you know. Well, I can already tell you, I know that those printers are not going to work in six years from now, or four years, or two years from now, even uh, because you know when you upgrade to a new version of Windows and you need a driver and it's not available because you know the manufacturer doesn't support it and they don't release updated drivers, you're just screwed, right? So. <laughs> yeah on the firmware front that's something that it a lot of people they're like oh well this has open source software drivers this is good i have been dealing with three issues of this at work this past couple weeks because of intel and network cards so they have had they released in february that there were some a whole bunch of vulnerabilities and really ballsy of them too in the announcement they even put that we don't anticipate that this will gather much uh, media attention um, but the three, the three, uh, network cards was the 700 series, the E810 and the I210. Now the 700 and the E810, they're like 40 to hundred gigabits. So not something that a lot of people are going to run on, but obviously yeah. enterprise does, but the I210 is, uh, just a gigabit ethernet port. And oh, I was looking through to try, okay, well, where's the, where's the up upgraded software? Well, you can't get it now for the 700 and the 810. They released binaries that anybody can run. You can just go to the Intel site, download it, run the binary on your system, and it'll upgrade the firmware. Good to go. So, okay, at least you've you've announced the problem. You've put out the fix so that we can get it, and you've uh, made it available for us to install the updated firmware. It's still closed source. I don't like that. But at least we have the firmware patch to be able to update. However, the 210, not <laughs> so much. So they put out some updated software, but I couldn't tell that the driver was actually doing any of the stuff that it would need to do to block the CVE that they released. So I got in touch with somebody at Intel and I was like, look, you've got to help me make sense of this. Like, what is this? And they looked into it and they're like, actually, this doesn't really make much sense to me. I'm going to loop another one of my coworkers on. And that Intel coworker was like, oh, well, what you need to do is you need to sign up at our resource and design center. And then you can download the firmware. And then you can also download the tools to be able to flash the firmware and then you'll be fine. Oh, except that you actually have to sign an NDA with Intel to be able to get access to the firmware binary to flash onto your system. So it's like, you guys have publicly announced a CVE. You release some source code. You're like, oh yeah, this, this goes with the driver for, for that thing that we announced the CVE to. But actually what I need is the firmware, which you've got under NDA, which you're not giving me. So how is that helpful? Yeah, this so like the answer is I have to go to the actual board manufacturer and bug them to then put out an update because they have access to no, this is not the way things should right. run. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's 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 insane. Um and it's like, and this is the thing, it's like people, most people don't understand like the problems. So it's trying to explain it to people, you know, they I I, I can't tell you how many I mean, I guess it's not been that often, but like every once in a while I'll I'll have somebody like I'm talking to and they just won't believe a word I'm saying. And it's just like, ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just like, you know, I, I kind of, I, they have, the, they're coming at it from a, a certain perspective and it's like, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to be, they're intentionally blinding themselves, you know, to, to what the situation is and for one reason or another. Um, but it is what it is. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't save everybody. You can't help everybody. Some people, you just kind of 
let them, you got to let them crash and burn and learn for themselves to whatever extent that they're going to learn. And some people will never learn. And that's just, yeah, that's what it is. So this leads to an interesting question. And that is, do you think that the slow trend that we see of open source hardware starting to pick up is going to advance in pace? Do you think more people are going to get interested in it? Because like you have things like Risk Five, and you have Open Power, and uh, a friend of mine is the lead of the LibreSoc project. And so it seems that we're there are projects out there that have said, no, we need a fully open stack from silicon all the way up through the software to what the user sees. We need it to be all open, but it's slow going. Do, do you do you think that there's going to be a point where that becomes the standard, or at very least will become more common so there's not the the difficulty in obtaining that hardware that we have today i mean this is a good question i mean theoretically we should probably see something along those lines like the look i mean let's be honest it's you know linux you know gnu and all that has undermined a lot of what we have had in the past um you know windows doesn't dominate today um it's 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 a it's already operating system um you know mac os x doesn't dominate either for that matter um you know most devices are running some form of free software and i think i think at the end of the day probably you know to the extent that we're able to get more code you know released for more devices those devices that have the code are going to dominate on the marketplace but it's hard to, you know, it's hard, it's really hard to tell for sure, because at the end of the day, you know, we, when we get source code released, oftentimes for, you know, some of these low level components, they have a huge benefit for um, the companies that are selling hardware based on those chips and things of that nature. But that doesn't necessarily translate into somebody, you know, some executive in power, you know, understanding uh, that the reason that they're pop, they're their products are popular is because they release the source code or those chips are popular. Um, and they, they just, they just don't make this connection. And so, you know, it takes, it can take years to get management on board and understanding that. And then, you know, like what we saw with Qualcomm, um, you know, the management changes and you basically have to start all over again. And then of course the people who, who were the primary reason that the management understood previously leave and they go to form their own company or do something else. And you're, you're starting all over. And, and, and when you, when you only have one company that was doing that in the first place, you end up taking two steps back. It's like, you know, um, I, I would like to think it's, it's, uh, you know, two step forward, one step back, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it may, it may in some respects be at certain levels, we are doing two steps forward and one step back. And then in other areas, we're doing one step forward, two step back. Um, and I think, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to tell. There is still so many issues that we've not conquered ever. Um, you know, when it comes to chips and things of that nature, you know, printers, a <laughs> good example. Um, and like hard disk firmwares and like, like, you know, it's not said there's not people working on projects to do stuff, but it's not, it's not sufficiently funded. It's not, not, you know, it's, it just, and we can do, there's certain things we can do to like wean ourselves off some of these dependencies, but it's still a huge, you know, it's a huge effort because most people don't understand the problems, don't care about the problems. They're in it for the money or they're in it for something that isn't, you know, isn't, oh, what's going to be best for my customer. It's, 
you know, what's going to be best for me. And that's cheap. That ship is cheaper. So we're going to ship with, uh, you know, Raspberry Pi. Um, we're going to ship with the broadband, you know, broad, or Broadcom ship instead of, you know, um, I don't know, all, all, uh, rock, or I'm sorry, rock ship, you know. Um, and I don't even know if those, you know, one ship is cheaper than the other in that case. But at the end of the day, that's what's going through these people's heads. And it's like, okay, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be cheaper and you're going to make more money or whatever. Um, and you're going to achieve your objective, whatever that objective, you know, is, but it's still not necessarily going to be the best thing. And, and so, you know, it's, I don't know, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell there. I mean, there have been, there have been some things that are, you know, making progress. Um, there's something called Yoma 68, for example, and there are Yoma 68 cards. It's taken way too long to get it, you know, done in shipping, but we participated in helping to fund crowdfund um, and market and promote it. And we also funded the original design and engineering of, of uh, a modular computing is basically what it is. But the objective of that is to reduce the cost of designing and manufacturing devices that are not dependent on any proprietary components. And so theoretically, um, you know, when you, if you can scale up the demand for a core computer, basically, and then design housings around it, it doesn't, it's not as expensive to come out with all sorts of projects because you don't necessarily have to, um, you could do the design once and you can upgrade the product just by swapping out a card and then you can scale up the card, you know, uh, because it's not for one device, but it's for many devices. But, you know, it's still, you know, it's still, uh, it's still, it's expensive. I mean, it's, it's expensive. And, and that's not even, that's not a chip problem. That is a, we have the chips. We just don't have them all in a single product. So that will make it easier to bring uh, devices to market that are totally free, you know, from tablets to routers to, uh, you know, desktops and, and laptops and all sorts of different devices, potentially. Um, I still think it's, it's got the most potential, you know, we haven't seen it yet. Um, we, we do have uh, the desktop. I think it's a thousand desktop words or no, no, 500 desktop words and or housings and a thousand Yoma 68 cards have been manufactured. So I have, I physically have a certain percentage of those um, and they exist. <laughs> so it's, it's hopefully, hopefully, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, it's, 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 it's still going to take time to get that stuff shipped out to people who support that crowdfunding campaign. Um, but I've taken on um, the responsibility, I guess, of getting, getting that stuff out to those who supported the crowdfunding campaign. I wasn't the one who ran the crowdfunding campaign. I just helped with the crowdfunding campaign and supported the project, both in funding it, getting it off the ground, and then, you know, to to make people aware of it. But um, so, I mean, to, to a good extent, you could say I was heavily involved, but I wasn't, I'm not the person leading that project. Um, Luke, Luke is, and... Um, yeah, it's 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 a great project. I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping to see I'm hoping to see you know that that progress further, and uh, and then hopefully you know we can work on you know you know the risk stuff, um, you know coming out and designing a CPU, um, an SOC that you know it, but that's a huge you know people don't understand like you might have a five hundred thousand dollar project that you can get off the ground and take ten years, but a you know designing an soc and a chip and getting that manufacturer and everything like that you're talking tens of millions of dollars so it's a it's a way bigger project and whether or not 
you know, whether or not we don't even know if we're going to fully succeed with, you know, Yoma 68, let alone, you know, something as, as crazy big as that. But there's also, you know, there's other things that are, you know, potentially, you know, um, going to, you know, make that move along. And some of that's things like grants and government funds that, you know, come in. And I'm not a big fan of that, the government, you know, money, you know, handouts, but um, I certainly am, I'm certainly not uh, going to refuse you know, taking money um, if it's as long as it's not going to undermine or compromise, you know, what it is I'm trying to do. Uh, so, yeah, I am still shocked that the industry did not respond stronger to the Spectre and Meltdown stuff with Intel. Like when that first broke, I remember thinking, oh, this might be one of those, you know, pivot moments where the industry goes, okay, we need to rethink how we're doing this and maybe have a shift in perspective. And obviously, open source hardware is like, hey, I'm the answer, guys, like right over here, everybody noticing me. But it seemed that for most of the industry, uh, it was just, oh, well, we'll just deal with this Spectre meltdown stuff. And yeah, systems might get a little slower, but that's fine. We don't need to change anything. We don't need to update our, our, our concepts of how we're actually building systems. No, 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 no. We're just, don't, don't, don't focus on anything else. Um, which is unfortunate because I really, I really do look forward to the day where there is an open stack all the way up and all the way down. Now we talked about a few projects, but looking at free and open source software as well as other open source hardware projects, are there any other projects that you see or any other work that's being done that you get really encouraged and excited to see what comes out it's of that? It's hard to uh, get excited about it, to be honest, a lot of stuff because it, it's, you know, it's just, it's so, so much of what you work on is so far out as far as like it's going to take a long long time and then when it finally comes out it's like whatever excitement you had you've already you're the one who's been working on it and you know for so long it's not exciting it's like you knew it was coming you just knew it was going to take forever and so it, it's not and you know it's unfortunate because one of one of the problems and I, and I I knew this I knew this like well I knew I knew this like when we did the crowdfunding campaign. That's one of the problems with crowdfunding campaigns is is you can raise the funds that are needed to you know manufacture something, but if you want to make sure that you're going to be able to manufacture it and have it you know end up at the end of the day getting out to people, you know there can be delays, and you know you might have a certain anticipation of how long it's going to take, um, but it might not. It might take a lot longer than that, and people you know they are used to we have this instant gratification you know society i guess i i'm not really a big fan of saying it like that but that's how other people would probably say it and people are like oh i bought this no 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 that's not what crowdfunding is that's not not the point of crowdfunding crowdfunding is supposed to be to help projects do things that are otherwise not going to be possible and people yet have this mindset of oh i bought this no you didn't buy that you made a donation and, and then of course, you know, you know, it takes, it ends up taking longer to come out with something because you're not Intel, you're not AMD, you're not, you know, Microsoft, you're not, you're not. And, and, and then of course you end up with what, what looks really cool today and a couple of years from now might not look so cool. But of course the people who, you know, are upset, they went in, they went in it for what I would say are the wrong reasons. <laughs> they didn't go in it for all of the stuff that you are trying to sell, like the freedom or, you know, any of the other stuff, they're going into it because it's, oh, that's really cool. You know, module computer is really cool conceptually. 
um, for reasons that have nothing to do with free software. And so a lot of people will be not, not, not happy when it finally gets released and they're not looking at it from the larger picture. They're just looking at it from a toy. Like it's a toy and it's cool and I want this. And now it's not cool anymore because there's other stuff on the market that's so much better and faster. But of course they were, they're, they're not looking at the whole reason that the project existed in the first place. <laughs> they're looking at it because, you know, they're, you know, they don't really have the same, they don't have the, what they don't, they don't, they're not, they don't have the interests that you have and the reason that you were doing the project in the first place. So, um, but um, I think, um, you know, when it came, comes to like Yoma 68, just as an example, you've got to start somewhere, you know, and you learn and you get better at stuff as time progresses. So I think, um, you know, it shouldn't take anywhere near as long to come out with a second generation like card. Just as an example, the first generation card is only two gigs of RAM and a dual core CPU from with a 15, 20 year old, probably SOC at this point. But you know, the next generation, you know, will be twice as fast, twice as good. And it maybe will only take a couple of years to come out with, as opposed to, you know, the 15 years that it took to come out with the first generation. And so over time, you know, you progress, but you've got to build up those capabilities. And right now we don't really have a whole lot of people in on the engineering side of, um, you know, the free software world, you know, working on those types of things. So we have a lot of people on the software development side, but not a lot of people on the on the hardware side, you know, actually designing, you know, hardware and, and chips and things of that nature. So we need more of that. And, um, you know, it's going to take a lot longer to build that experience up and, and the, that skill set because we just don't, we just don't have those people. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to, and, and I know there's so many people out there who are, you know, they're like, it's, it, you know, they, they've, they've got some idea of like fabricating and designing and, you know, hardware and stuff. And it's like, but they don't really have, they're, they're not, they're clearly not experts and they, they'll say things that are like, I could have done this in six months. And it's like, no, you couldn't have because the the sourcing, just the sourcing of the components, we had to switch from one manufacturer to another manufacturer and then redesign this and that because, you know, the, the components don't, like they exist when you designed it, but they don't exist, you know, two years later. And, you know, you end up with this, this whole thing where, no, you couldn't have done that. And you don't know enough, you know, you don't know, you clearly don't know enough. And the other thing is it's like, well, first of all, the like a Raspberry Pi type of device, a mini board computer. Yes, maybe you could have done it in six months, but that's this isn't a Raspberry Pi type device. It's not a mini board computer. This is a card that has very spell special. Um, it's it's a much more. It, it's a the package is smaller, so it takes. A, it's a lot more. It's harder to manufacture, basically, and so it's yeah. It's not something. Uh, you know, it's it's something that it just it ends up. It, it just it is what it is and if you want to if you want to go eventually get to what you're trying to achieve sometimes things take you know they take time and people just don't understand they just they don't understand it's like and you can't you can't explain it to them you can't you can't get them to care you know either you care or you don't and if you care great help support the project and if you don't care well maybe rather than us rather than buying into this go go do something else don't support it because if you if you buy into it and then you act like you know you're owed something, which I'm not saying you're not like you don't deserve something, but I am saying that if you're gonna then want a refund in a year from now because it doesn't come out on time, you don't donate something to a project and then ask for a refund later. It's just like you just don't do it. And um, you know, it, anyway, it's um, and I, I don't think I think there's a lot of people who don't really understand crowd crowdfunding. And, and it also doesn't help that you've got companies that are 
I, 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 I'm not a fan. I, I know there's certain other companies that are doing this, and you could probably think of of some of these uh, companies. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna refrain from from naming companies just because I, I don't think it looks good. But you know, there's other companies out there that are basically using crowdfunding to, you know, uh, develop their capital in order to do projects, and they're not doing anything that's all that unique or any. They're just, they're just using it as a cheaper way to uh get a loan basically and it's like i look down on that because it's it's not it's not it's i mean i guess it's okay if that's what you're you're saying oh um you know if that's how you're doing it like if that's how you're raising funds for your private company but you've you've got to be you've got to say that you've got to do it in a different way and actually i don't even think that's legal if i'm not mistaken i think that's actually like that's illegal but anyway but company but people are doing it anyway and um yeah the other problem you have is companies that will come up with an idea crowdfund it because they know that will get them enough attention and then hope they get bought by a bigger company right. and that's really the strategy right. from the get-go is i just want my idea and company to be bought by a bigger company so i can right. retire and go away and not well, give a any care about what the happens thing. this is the thing like it, it, you're you're literally profiting off of uh you know basically other people's donations like that's effectively what you're doing and that just doesn't seem right to me i have no problem with people you know you know i'm not like anti-capitalism or anything like that like go and support your business do your business stuff but you know to to then ask people to donate money to you and it's like it like and i don't have a problem with like a, like a company being like you know, if you're putting out like a free product or whatever, and you're saying, give me a tip, you know, I, I'm, I'm very much a fan of tipping. Like, you know, I understand that, you know, not all products are, you're going to pay for, um, you know, like just, you're going to pay a set amount for, right? Like I totally get that. If you're a waitress, yeah, that's fine. I have no problem tipping. If you're running a radio show, I would, I would love for people to, you know, who do podcasts and radio shows and produce content, creative content to ask people for tips rather than, you know, charging for, uh, you know, the, the, uh, I don't even, what would you call it? A light, uh, not a light, I guess a license, I guess, I guess, I, I don't even know. Um, you know, like movies, for example, right. I would rather tip, go to go and, you know, tip somebody who, devo- who creates a movie than to pay them some fixed amount for, uh, I don't even know how they phrase it nowadays, but, um, I would say buy a DVD, but obviously, you know, you know, nobody's buying DVDs anymore. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So when we were talking about uh, board development and you made the comment about, you know, somebody will look at it and they'll think, oh, I could I could do this in six months. So you clearly laid out how a lot of people that have that mentality don't really have the perspective of everything that's involved and how complicated things are. But what what other pieces of advice would you give if somebody wants to get into open source software development or open source hardware development? What What is some advice that you would give them? before they start working on whatever project? Are there any other key points that you would be like, this is maybe something you should keep in mind? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, that's, that's such an open-ended question. Um, yeah, I, I, maybe if it was more specific, more tailored, what are you trying to do? What's your objective? Uh, maybe I, I have some ideas, but it's, uh, I mean, are we talking about I mean, I don't know, like, I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess maybe like, I want to say business models or strategies for creating a self-funding project. It doesn't like, I'm not saying you have to start a business in order to achieve your objective. There's other ways to achieve your objective. Um, But um, like, and I can give some examples, I guess, like, for example, uh, Triscoll um, 
and Link Smith, both of them do something similar. But um, they have uh, a working strategy for fundraising and they have something, Driscoll Project calls it associate memberships. And basically it's just people donating a small amount of money every month to to your your project. And so that's one example of how to fundraise. Now, it's not the only way. There's other ways. Like you can sell t-shirts or you can sell, you know, there's there's all sorts of things you can do. You can partner with other companies. You can have advertising. Sometimes it, it, it's a little bit of A and a little bit of B. Linksmith does a little bit of A and a little bit of B. They have something equivalent to the associate membership program and they bring in funds from their user base because they support the user base. Not everybody, but percentage of the user base supports what they're doing. And then they also sell advertising. And so one of like my company, for example, one of the ways we um, support some of these projects is actually through literally just buying advertising. You know, we don't do, we're terrible at marketing, um, but we're great at helping fund other projects and keep other projects going by buying up advertising on sites or projects that are, you know, that we have, that we support. And um, it's, it's, uh, I don't know that it's, you know, one of the things with advertising is it's often not that effective. So a lot of the money that you throw out there for marketing and advertising is mostly just, you know, it's, it's a waste of money. It's a waste of effort. It's a waste of time and energy. Um, If you looked at, uh, if I recall correctly, I think there was a study that was done or something or a story that came out about how companies basically they stopped during COVID their advertising and nothing changed, <laughs> like nothing changed. <laughs> so most of the money that's being thrown at advertising is basically a donation to marketing companies. If you're going to, if you're going to do the marketing, you might as well do it to causes and projects and things that you want to see succeed. And so that's kind of, that's kind of been most of what we've done. We've done a little bit of like, okay, it's not entirely, um, you know, we're not, our whole marketing budget isn't all going to, you know, you know, the Triscoll project or tour or wherever, you know, all these other tales and some other ones, but it is, um, you know, it is a, the majority of our marketing dollars. Um, there are some more marketing kind of stuff that we do with like going to conference. We haven't done that in a year or whatever, but we usually go to about a dozen conferences a year. And I would say that we do want to support, you know, uh, conferences, but a lot of the conferences are like, they don't need our money. Um, we're more interested in talking to customers and people in the community and so forth. And that's why we go to them. But it is a marketing outreach effort more so probably than, you know, really funding something that it's worthwhile, but it's not as worthwhile as, you know, physically handing money over to a developer. Um, and I, one of the things I love about funding projects is that the money is actually being used as opposed to like funding a corporate company, right? The money is being used for whatever it is that you're giving them the money for, right? Generally speaking, um, if you give a developer, you know, money, you know, they're actually going to be, you know, feeding themselves with it. They're going to be paying their mortgage or their rent or whatever it is. And so it's going to go directly into the pockets. Again, if the, you know, it's a small enough project and it's not like, you know, run by some organization or whatever, but most of that money is going to go where, you know, to a good cause. So I, I like, I like doing it that way as far like marketing and stuff. Yeah. I remember seeing an article, um, it was what you were touching on where companies stopped their advertising budget. And I, I think the figure that I saw was like a hundred million dollars in advertising money basically was stopped across a whole bunch of companies. Yeah. And yeah, the result was like, eh, it's not really a difference. Like, yeah, we're not really seeing any, any change in, in our bottom line from it. Um, well, let me, let me take that question and let me skew it 
a little more uh, specific and a little more personal. What advice would you have given yourself? Like if you had, if, the, if you found a time machine and you could go back and talk to yourself 15, 20 years ago, are there any piece of advice that you would give yourself then? Yeah. Hand out a lot more business cards and don't even bother with any marketing, <laughs> spending money on marketing period. Just get rid of the marketing budget and do more, more physical hands, you know, hand, hey, just literally hand out business cards. I mean, it depends on what your business is, but Generally speaking, I've run a number of different businesses over the years. And um, like one business, you know, it was focused on the local community. And I can tell you, I threw money at, you know, local marketing and advertising. And I, I have to say, it, it's, you know, if it brought in as much business as I spent in marketing dollars, you know, that's probably about what you're going to get. Um, on the other hand, if you go around and hand out business cards, you know, all over the place, um, you know, you're and you talk to people and, and so on, you're going to get a lot more business. And it's, you know, it's it's cost you maybe in terms of time and energy and effort, but it pays back. It pays back so much more uh, than whatever the time and effort that you put into that relative to just paying for mark advertising or whatever. Yeah, so. I had a conversation with a friend of mine a couple weeks ago, and we were just generally conversing back and forth about different things. And he came up with a, a comment that I don't want to say I didn't think of before, but I don't know if I put it quite into the words that he did. And I'm not going to be able to off the top of my head, re, you know, recall back and and exactly the way he said it. But the gist of what he was saying is that the free and open source software hardware model is as much as we love it for software and hardware, that in many ways, it's kind of a philosophy for life in that it's about respecting others, about helping others, being open with others. And I'm just, I'm kind of wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if it, there, there might be more to that than the way it's, the way you're wording it. And I'm not sure, there probably is. I probably would have more to respond if I if it was worded a little differently or or, or I, I can tell it's being it's being relayed so the message isn't quite clear um, and so the, the fact that I'm not quite sure exactly what the message is it's kind of hard to respond to that but I I, I think probably <laughs> so that's the best I can say yeah unfortunately I, I did not repeat it in such an eloquent manner as, as it was to me um Maybe, maybe one of these days I'll get him to say it back to me and then I can reach out to you again and be like, okay, here was the way that was said to me that made a lot of sense. And now yeah, I want yeah, to like, put like on it. I have life philosophies, you know, um, and I think they're probably somewhat along the lines of what he was saying. You know, it's like, you know, you know, don't harm others, right? Basically, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty fundamental tenet. Um, you know, if you're not being harmed by somebody else, you know, don't, don't, you know, there's no need to use violence. And, um, and that's probably, I don't know if that was quite the, what he was saying, but it was, it's some, some sort of philosophy along those lines. And um, I kind of, I, that's kind of what, how I feel. It's like, um, you know, whether, whether it comes to software or hardware or, you know, life in general, you know, I want, I want everybody to be free and do what makes them happy. And, you know, to the extent that, you know, you, it's not going to end up harming somebody else. And, you know, honestly, even if it does, sometimes it's like, there is, there is a, there's a certain amount of we get good things, but there's also usually some amount of harm that happens as a result too. And you may not know it. You may not see it. You may not intend it, but 
it happens. And so I'm not necessarily saying, you know, don't harm anybody. I actually think that's probably, I, I would say, try to reduce your harm is, is the best way. Minimize it to the best of your ability. But, I, I, you know, it's just, it's, you know, you're going to, you know, in order to get the rewards, you know, you might have a massive reward. And if it's a little bit of harm, you're probably going to end up, you know, be better off with a little bit of harm and massive reward. You know, if you have a little bit of uh, harm or a lot of harm and not much reward, then don't do that, right? Like, you know, so... Yeah, a little bit of difficulty and struggle is sometimes a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I know working out sometimes yeah, really right, sucks because exactly. oh, I don't <laughs> like muscles being sore. But the result is so much better than the cost and the discomfort right, exactly, and everything. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's not it's not it's not a black and white. You know, often stuff isn't black and white. And uh, you know, it's 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 uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta take a little bit of the bad in order to get you know uh, the good. And sometimes sometimes. Sometimes you, you know, end up uh, suffering, but when it comes to just generally helping people in general, you know, other people or whatever, you know, it's worth, it's worth it. At least, at least I think it's worth it. You know, I'm willing to suffer a little bit, you know, for the benefit of other people, if that benefit is going to be, you know, substantial or good enough, right? You know, it doesn't have to, I guess it doesn't have to be substantial, but you know, it's like, to some degree, right? You got to you got to get more than what you're what you're uh, suffering from. That's a ter- this is a terrible way to word all this, but <laughs> well, it yeah. works. And and honestly, I think that I think this is a, the best point to end end on is you know at, at the end of the day, what we want to do is we want to create a better yeah, world exactly. for everyone. And I mean, I know I know I th- believe that. I know you believe that. So I think that's a good spot to end on, Chris. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Same to you.